When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We need help. And all those who think we're not getting it right, they should come and show us how to get it right. Republican governors using migrants as political pawns is shameful. Their virtue signaling is a fraud. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I am very pleased. (laughs) To announce a tentative labor agreement between that has been reached between the railroad workers and the railway companies. Paper products, the grain-based products, they will be there. There will be enough. Don't panic. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Immigration moves to the front page as two Republican governors continue busing undocumented migrants north. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as Martha's Vineyard becomes the latest destination for immigrants, along with Kamala Harris's front yard this morning. The legal implications are looming large, and we'll explore them with Leon Fresco, formerly with the Office of Immigration Litigation at the Justice Department Civil Division. Later, President Xi meets Vladimir Putin. Will they hug each other into isolation? We'll talk with former ambassador to the U.N. and Russia, Thomas Pickering. An analysis from the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis is with us, along with Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way. The White House calling out Republican governors Ron DeSantis of Florida and Greg Abbott of Texas for busing undocumented immigrants to Democratic cities. This has been going on for weeks. Cities like New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., calling their actions cruel and shameful stunts today. It's not the first time this has come up at the White House in the briefing, but, well, today was a whole new level of concern and urgency as busloads of immigrants were sent from Texas to Vice President Kamala Harris's home. That would be the U.S. Naval Observatory right up there on Massachusetts Avenue. And also two plane loads from Florida to, of all places, Martha's Vineyard. We're, you know, a church and some community groups were luckily there to give them shelter and food. Many of them seem overwhelmed. We just started feeding people outside while they were standing around because everybody was just really hungry and then moved them inside as soon as we could. We've got people on cots in the, the parish hall. We've got people on cots here. We've got families on air mattresses down in the homeless shelter in the library. It's Barbara Rush from St. Andrew's Parish on the Vineyard talking today with ABC News. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre asked about this, condemned the actions 
of the two Republican governors. There's a process in place. Uh, we have had a process in place. There's a legal way of doing this um, and uh, for managing migrants. Republican governors interfering in that process and using migrants as political pawns is, uh, is shameful, is reckless and just plain wrong. So as usual, there's a political side to this and there's also a legal one, it sounds like, based on her answer. By the way, she says people sent to the vineyard in this case were promised housing and jobs. Let's bring on Leon Fresco, partner at Holland and Knight, former deputy assistant attorney general for the Office of Immigration Litigation at the Justice Department's Civil Division. Leon, it's great to have you with us here. Uh, Do I hear uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre correctly that the White House might be suggesting this is illegal? Well, I think they're going to have to look because there's a couple of laws that don't necessarily fit perfectly. There's an unlawful transport uh, foreign nationals law that might apply, but that would only apply if they could only be prosecuted under that if they had sort of done the travel in furtherance of the uh, unlawful entry that was initially effectuated into the United States. Yep. And so Texas would say that that's not going to really apply because they were already vetted by ICE and allowed to be released after that travel. So that one would work. But there also could be a trafficking uh, law that would be put into place that you yeah. could actually sue under, which would occur if you misled people into being transported across state lines. And so that one, I you know, depending on if they want to get serious, they could start they could start uh, charging people for human trafficking there. Boy, okay. So that I guess the you know the, the question so many people have is I realize that these are undocumented immigrants. They are from another country. Uh, they don't have the rights of an American citizen. But is it legal for a governor of of any state to send them wherever they want for whatever reason? Well, it is certainly legal if you're doing it voluntarily. So if you're saying, look, the entry point for 90 percent of foreign nationals from the southern border is in Texas, that once they arrive in Texas, you sort people out and you ask them, where is your final intended destination? And then you send them to Chicago if that destination is closest to Chicago Mm -hmm. or New York if it's closest to New York. None of that's going to be illegal. But if you mislead people and you tell them, oh, this bus is going to Boston, and then you send them to Martha's Vineyard or something, that's where you start to potentially have legal problems. How about if you promise jobs and housing that's not there? Correct. That's the whole point. Now, what's going to matter is... Who's doing the promising? Under what authority are they doing it? Yeah. Is it sort of a rhetorical promise or is it an actual promise? And those are the kinds of things that are going to have to be investigated. Boy, these are uh, really great questions here. The, I know at least in the case of Florida, there's a state program that funds $12 million for relocating undocumented immigrants. Is it legal to use taxpayer money to fly them? Again, it would be. But here's what's a little bit strange about Florida. Almost none of the undocumented population that the uh, United States is dealing with comes into Florida. Only a very small group of migrants who would be coming from Cuba through the water. So the people who are actually being sent from Texas to Florida intend for Florida to be their final destination because they have relatives there. And so for Florida to actually send people out, if it's going to be doing it against their will, then that would be illegal. That would actually be an unlawful imprisonment, which you're not allowed to do in that huh. situation. And you could actually be civilly or criminally prosecuted. 
Yeah. But what happened in the case where they flew people to Martha's Vineyard is they stopped in Florida, but that flight originated in Texas. And so that's the that's point right. here is this money is really not going to be used to take people from Florida proper to anywhere else because Florida is not an entry point. It's actually a final destination for a oh, lot of man. people. Well, there's nothing complicated about this. Leon, uh, you know, I just wonder, based on your experience, if the Department of Justice has a case to pursue here because the White House is referring questions to them. I think they are going to need to make fact-intensive analysis about what people are being told when they're being entering on these buses and on these trains and on these planes. And if people are being misled, then there is an unlawful imprisonment and there's a trafficking component that the Department of Justice can potentially prosecute people for. And the question is, is it going to want to do that in this situation? Yeah, right. Leon Fresco is with us, Holland and Knight, and spent time as Deputy Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Immigration Litigation at the DOJ's Civil Division. So we have an expert on this story here. How about the other way around, uh, just to, to look at this, if, if, if the United States releases an undocumented immigrant, is there any obligation to provide food or shelter at that point? No, what happens at that point, once a, once the, once somebody's been detained by the Department of Homeland Security upon their initial unlawful entry, and they've been cleared to basically, they're called released on their own recognizance until Mm -hmm. their court hearing. Mm -hmm. At that point, unfortunately, it's up to that human being to basically stay alive until the court hearing. And so. So let's say you're sent to Martha's Vineyard in that case. That means they still have a court date. I'm assuming that's not going to be on the vineyard or how's that going to work? Correct. Correct. Now, they can file a change of venue to have their court date in Boston, (laughs) but the point is they're not going to really end up at Martha's Vineyard because, like, 95% of these people have some sort of plan. They don't just come to the U.S. with no plan. They have a general idea of a contact point. They're trying to get to family or to someone else. I got you. Yes, correct. Wow, uh, Leon, we're learning a lot here. Uh, how how long can this go on before the DOJ says something? Because it's it's this has been you know all summer. New York is at the point where the homeless shelters are totally maxed out. There are eleven thousand people from other countries there. Well, I think there are a lot of cities that are now starting to grapple with contingency planning for what will happen if people are being brought to their cities. I do think you're going to continue to see this. I don't think this is going to end anytime soon because I do think we're in a little bit of a what I would call an attrition factor here where Texas really is trying to get trying to force some action here and they I think they actually would welcome some sort of litigation or something on this front because right. they they're, they're basically trying to force that next step. That's and where this is going to go. Locality Right. And the question is for these localities, can they basically come up with a logistical turnaround that's quick quick enough that they don't have to use shelters, that they can basically Mm -hmm. reroute people to the locations they're actually trying to intend to go to? And that's what's going to be the real issue here. Okay, I got you. And so in the meantime, you wait for the, the activist group to file the lawsuit and get the ball rolling. Yeah, I mean, I think whoever it is, I think there's the potential. I mean, the potential lawsuits that the actual undocumented people who've been transported can say is that they were transported against their will using trickery or false pretense. And if you do that, that kind of interstate trafficking of a person can get the person in trouble. But you're going to have to prove a causation of who lied to you and where they ordered to lie to you, et cetera. Got it. 
Fascinating. Uh, Leon Fresco, thanks for your time and coming back to talk to us. He's at Holland and Knight now, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General, Immigration Litigation at DOJ's Civil Division. With us on the fastest hour in politics, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We're going to connect in a moment on the line with a state senator uh, from Massachusetts, who's uh, obviously his uh, area includes Martha's Vineyard, uh, which is, you know, what? A 45-minute ferry ride from Hyannis, and I do wonder, from Falmouth at least, a little longer from Hyannis, I wonder what he's got to tell us. Because they're still trying to figure out, as as Leon said, what were they told, who actually sent them, who put them on the buses and the airplanes, and what were they promised? We'll have the panel weigh in on this coming up as well. You ever heard of the reverse freedom rides? You ever heard that story? 1962. This, this is really something because this was not in my history book in school. Segregationists from the South came up with a plan to shame northern liberals by sending African-Americans from the South up to northern cities. It's pretty remarkable here uh, when you think about history. They went to northern cities, including, of all places, Cape Cod. Half of them went to Hyannis, the home of the Kennedys. They were promised jobs and housing. This actually happened. Some were told, in fact, the Kennedys would be waiting for them when they got off the bus in Hyannis. None of that was true, of course, but north they went. And fascinating to hear the, the language, the rhetoric from these two guys, George Singleman and Amos Guthridge, were the so-called architects of the reverse freedom rides. They were interviewed in 1962. This is from a story on NPR. Listen to the language they use. The ultimate accomplishment, of course, has already been uh, obtained, and that is to focus attention on the hypocrisy of the Northern liberals and the NAACP, Urban League, and people like that especially. We intend to continue it until those uh, people in the majority tell those politicians we are through with this foolishness about uh, civil rights. George Singleman and Amos Guthridge speaking in 1962. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting to watch history as you try to understand the current shape of things. Although those were Americans, they were busing. Let's bring in the panel for their take on this. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is with us, along with Jim Kessler today, co-founder at Third Way, Democratic strategist and former legislative policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Thanks for being back with us, Jim and Rick. I wonder your thoughts on the political nature of this today as Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott make a name for themselves here, for better or worse. Yeah, I think it's for better or for worse, as you say. I mean, a lot of people are going to react to this in a very emotional way. I mean, there's a sense of fairness amongst American people who say, you know, you don't throw people on a bus and ship them to a state. Don't alert their authorities and dump them out on a curb. Uh, There are children involved in this. Uh, I can see that becoming a campaign commercial pretty easily. I think this is all about what you were just describing, which is getting attention. But I think they run the risk of looking pretty callous in the process. Listen to Ron DeSantis today. He was at an unrelated event and answered the criticism he was getting from Democrats. Minute, even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door. They all of a sudden go berserk and they're so upset that this is happening. And it just shows you, you know, their virtue signaling is a fraud. Jim Kessler, is this virtue signaling from Democrats? I think Ron DeSantis has made 
it's I think it's kind of a Waterloo for him politically on this immigration issue. Look, when you are promising people something, you put them on a bus, you get tell them a lie, you tell them you're going to feed them, you tell them they're going to have jobs, and it's all a lie. You truck them to some place that is different than when you told them. It's because you think those people are subhuman, and I, you know. You had in the previous segment, you know, what happened in 1962 with African Americans. And, you know, for other people, this is a thing that they told Jews in Poland and other places too when they got them on the train. So I think one of the places where, you know, DeSantis and others are really missing this is how, if you're a certain ethnicity or a certain race in America, it is a reminder of what happened to you. And the other thing I would say is, this is what happens when you're in a can you top this mass. Hey, Jim, we're having a hard time hearing you. I'm hoping that we can reconnect. If 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 we can do that in the studio, that would be great because uh, I want to hear you and what you're actually saying here. Rick, are these comparisons fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we 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 talk a lot about the coyotes, you know, in uh, yeah. Mexico who round these people up, promise them jobs, stick them on a bus, horrific conditions. They break the law by bringing them across the border, and then they dump them out. And and, and there are all kinds of challenges in Texas. I I, I get it. Um, um, you know, they are they have border towns that are overrun. Uh, we don't have a border policy with this administration that 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 makes any sense whatsoever. So it does def- create a lot of problems. But like, you know, do you really want to be Coyote Ron, right? I mean, like, what's the difference between him and a Coyote uh, at this stage by putting people on a wow. bus, promising something else, and dumping them off in another location with no help? That's the difference hilarious. is we're using taxpayer money to do it, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. that seems really stupid. So um, I think this is going to play out in a way that, uh, sure, it will bring attention to immigration. Maybe they feel bad that... Uh, all the discussion on abortion and inflation hasn't included an immigration discussion, but yeah. I, I think this has the potential to backfire in, in a pretty big way. Uh, listen to Karine Jean-Pierre again today at the White House. It's not just the fact that these people were bust. It's the way that they did it by not letting anyone know they were coming. Well, with with one exception, listen to the press secretary. There's a process in place. Uh, We have had a process in place. There's a legal way of doing this. Um, And uh, for managing migrants, Republican governors interfering in that process and using migrants as political pawns is, uh, is shameful, is reckless. And just plain wrong. Now, give us uh, the, she gives us a sense here more about the lack of notice. The fact that the that Fox News and not the Department of Homeland Security, the city or local NGOs were alerted about a plan to leave migrants, including children, on the side of a busy D.C. street makes clear that this is just a cruel, premeditated political stunt. So, Rick, they alerted Fox News and there was a camera there on Mass Ave when the buses pulled up, but no one else. What does that tell you? No, I, I, I think in this case, she's right. I, this was a political stunt. It was made to get headlines. It's not meant to alleviate the suffering on a border town in Texas. It's, it was meant to get news. And, of course, the news that's most favorable to uh, uh, yeah, Abbott and DeSantis are going to be Fox. And so call Fox, make sure the cameras are there. And, 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 and let's what what are they doing? Making fun of the people who are standing on the street corner, uh, you know, and then and then, uh, you know, demagoguing the fact that right. people are shocked. I actually think the authorities in both places act pretty cool. They make sure these people have uh, places to stay and food and 
and um, you know maybe they wind up staying and getting a job. I mean, I, uh, we have a shortage of personnel in this country. I'm not suggesting illegal immigration is a way to solve it, but uh, the reality is um, uh, this is the land of opportunity, and we're certainly not acting like it. Rick Davis, stand by with us, and Rick will be here for the hour, of course, as part of our political panel. Uh, as we, we have a state senator from Massachusetts on the line who's been dealing with this all day. Julian Sear uh, is uh, got, a, uh, obviously, Cape Cod uh, in, in, his, in his state here, and specifically Martha's Vineyard. Uh, senator, welcome. I'm, I'm glad you could take some time. I know it's been very busy. I just wonder what you have learned about who actually put these people on airplanes and, and what they were told. So, uh, you know, we, we first and foremost have been working, um, you know, around the clock since these planes arrived just after 3 p.m. yesterday, uh, you know, to, to welcome these migrant families, to treat them with dignity and respect, to get them food and shelter and, 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 and to take care of them. And the people on Martha's Vineyard has done, have done a tremendous job in doing that. What we've learned, you know, is that these are migrants who are mostly from Venezuela, um, they had crossed the border recently into Texas. They were staying uh, in a shelter in San Antonio. Um, a, a woman uh, who went by the name of Perla uh, approached them outside the shelter. Um, and, and essentially, this woman lured them into taking the plane. Uh, she misled them about where they would be going. Uh, and she promised, promised these migrants um, that they would be sent to a place where they could get expedited work papers. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so on. Where were they told they were going? Uh, so, uh, some were told they were going to Boston, um, but they really didn't exactly know, uh, certainly where they were when they landed, uh, had never sort of heard of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and when they arrived, um, you know, there, there was no notification to any official in Martha's Vineyard or, or anyone in Massachusetts for that matter that I'm aware of, um, about their arrival. Uh, they, wow. they landed at, at, at the airport, Martha's Vineyard, you know, we're, we're a pretty small rural place, especially year-round, right? About 20,000 people live here, land at the airport. Um, they had arranged for actually white vans uh, to, to take the migrant families from the airport to Martha's Vineyard Community Services, a human service agency, about three miles from the airport. Uh, and they had arranged actually to have a camera crew to film the, the planing, uh, but, but, but really no concern for... Um, the health and safety and well-being of these migrant families. Really, this was a, a, a shameless political stunt. So nobody gave anyone a heads up. How did you find out about it on the news? Uh, no, I, uh, this, this, our, our sheriff, we have a terrific sheriff on, on Martha's Vineyard, and, and he called me, you know, maybe within, within an hour or so, uh, and, and we started marshalling resources and on the ground here on Martha's Vineyard, and of course, you know, in Massachusetts. Um, you know, but this this truly is a pretty... Uh, it's a cruel ruse that, that, you know, manipulated vulnerable families who are seeking a better life. And, and I'm really glad that, you know, you raised the reverse freedom rights. That's something we've been talking about, um, of course, considering that uh, a, a 96 families, you know, came to Hyannis in the 1960s. And, yeah. um, you know, these, fu- these are fundamentally racist and xenophobic tactics. They've been used before, and it's sad to see them being used again. Well, what do you say to Republicans who's, who, like Greg Abbott today, who said, you know what, this is just a taste, or I guess it was Ron DeSantis, this is just a taste of what border towns are experiencing every day. And I, I believe the line from Ron DeSantis was, your virtue signaling is fraudulent. How would you reply? <laughs> so, so let's be clear, this isn't about, um, you know, helping border towns who are struggling with with, with, with so many migrants coming over the border. This isn't about helping the migrant families. 
This is about a, a, a political stunt and getting attention. If you wanted to help people, you actually coordinate. You reach out. Government works best, right, when, when we're pulling together. Massachusetts, actually, we've had a history of helping, uh, helping migrants. Um, you know, uh, a number of years ago under Governor Deval Patrick, Massachusetts welcomed hundreds of unaccompanied uh, minors to Massachusetts. Mm. They were brought to Massachusetts in partnership with the federal government. That's how states like Massachusetts and other states that are not border states you know, can help yeah. border states can address, you know, address this crisis. But they don't care. They don't actually care about the people. Well, in our remaining moment are. here, Senator, what what can yeah. you tell our listeners will become of of these people? What what's your plan for them? So, first and foremost, just making sure that they have shelter. Um, you know, are are, are well fed. Uh, you know, for the night, uh, the current shelter we have here in Martha's Vineyard, uh, it's a church parish. It's 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 quite it's quite small. Uh, there's one bathroom. It's sort of insufficient. So we're going to be needing a, a sort of larger, larger space for them. There's been an outpouring of, of resources, support, coordination at all levels of government in Massachusetts. Um, so we're going to be doing everything we, we can to help yeah. them. Um, but we're very clear-eyed about, about what this is, that this is capitalizing on, on people who are in different difficult circumstances. For a gotcha moment, it's done. It's, it's disgusting. It Senator, thank that. you for being with us. Julian Sear on the line from Massachusetts as we try to figure out where they came from and where they might be going. Stay with us on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. They met on the sidelines of the Shanghai Corporation Organization. This is a a Beijing-led group, sort of a counter to other Western alliances. And there he was, face-to-face with Vladimir Putin, it was President Xi. This after getting off the airplane with a mask and was masked almost the whole time walking around indoors. They finally sat down for talks. And as I read on the terminal, remarkable. Putin told his counterpart from Beijing he understands China's questions and concerns about his invasion of Ukraine. As the Chinese leader said, the two countries could inject stability and positive energy to a world in chaos. So as I asked earlier, this embrace between Xi and Putin, will they hug each other into isolation? And we're joined to talk about it by Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the United Nations, former ambassador to Russia, India, Israel, Nigeria, Jordan and El Salvador is quite a career in a business card ambassador. Welcome back. What's your take, uh, having seen the readouts from both sides of this meeting? The early readouts, Joe, are very interesting. They first indicate that China continues not only to sit on the fence very carefully on Russian invasion of Ukraine, but has now in diplomatic channels begun to express concerns about what Russia and Putin are doing there. The first time We've had this kind of a break in their policy. Uh, And Mr. Putin took the chance to announce it himself, I think in large measure, because he wanted to do everything he could to characterize those differences as minor or Mm semi-minor and the subject that he would correct in his conversations with President Xi. Uh, And at the same time, I think try to diminish their importance across the board uh, for a relationship that began last February before the invasion with a kind of unlimited friendship. 
and now has clearly begun to show its limits. Well, okay, uh, but when you hear President Xi speaking as he did, what does that do to the U.S.-China relationship? Obviously, Vladimir Putin has been written off here, but could, could President Biden still meet with him in the near term after this today? I don't know, because both sides have had reservations about that. But if someone were to ask me for my advice, I would encourage, as I have with friends, that the U.S. work harder with China to eliminate some of those obstacles that are now in the way in which both countries could cooperate in reducing. I do it uh, quietly and carefully. Economic obstacles, or what do you mean, Ambassador? Oh, the trade problems that have come out of U.S. trade sanctions and so on. They're they're there, and they're, they're not fictional, and I haven't made them up. And at the same time, I think it's important for the U.S. to carry out a relationship so that It doesn't take actions, particularly uh, stretches of actions, that in one way or another bring China and Russia, (coughs) excuse me, Joe, uh, together against the United States. It's important for us to take advantage of Mr. Xi's doubts now about what Putin is doing and the isolation he's put himself into, and indeed the failures that over the last week and a half Mm -hmm. have emerged from his military retreat from a significant yeah. part of the Ukraine yeah. as a re- result of Ukrainian military action. Well, I'm going to add another log on the fire here, Ambassador, as the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and I'm sure you're uh, read in on this, has approved a bill, this happened yesterday, to boost ties with Taiwan and give more military hardware, more weapons to deter a potential Chinese invasion. The final legislation uh, would need to, to overcome objections from the white house nobody knows if it has the votes but to see this kind of deliberation happening on capitol hill following the the series of delegations including uh speaker pelosi's to taiwan uh, our relationship is is certainly not improving by the day what does this do i think it's time if i can call it that to take a deep breath and think through these relationships there's no reason at all why we should not support taiwan under the conditions of the existing Taiwan Relations Act. And we have, over a period of time, been a provider of military equipment to Taiwan. It's not my view right now that it's the time to load up or increase those particular efforts, but it is time to make it clear, as we have, that we're uh, the People's Republic of China to use force against Taiwan, in conditions which clearly were designed to use force to reincorporate Taiwan back into China, then we ought to be firm. We also ought to be quietly firm that we do not, and on the basis of our one China policy, support independence for Taiwan. That's been a 25, 30 year U.S. policy, and there's no reason to change it, and there's no reason to shift the ground now in my view, in this development in Uzbekistan uh, with the Putin-Xi meeting, is not going to totally change anybody's relationship. It's too early to look for those kinds of shifts, but it is something we need to keep our eye on, and it is something we need to deal with, in, in my humble view, on the basis of strategic thinking and careful wisdom. 
Always a fascinating conversation, Ambassador. Thank you for joining us. Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the United Nations and to Russia, among several other countries. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg Sound On. As I read on the terminal, she called Putin old friend and said China is willing to work with Russia, display the responsibilities of the major powers, and play a leading role to inject stability and positive energy to a world in chaos, unquote. Can't wait to hear from the panel on this. Rick Davis and Jim Kessler are coming up next on The Fastest Hour in Politics. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. So how does the White House respond to this meeting today between Vladimir Putin and President Xi? Putin hailed the balanced position. This is a quote. The balanced position of our Chinese friends on the Ukraine crisis. As he offered to explain in detail their position on Ukraine, which, by the way, you've heard before. They say they're going to denazify the country. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis has a take on this. I can assure you, Republican strategist, Bloomberg Politics contributor, joined today by Democratic strategist Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way. Rick, uh, what's your thought here? Because when I see stories like this, I start thinking, whatever happened to the conversation about secondary sanctions? Yeah, well, I think that's a uh, continuing discussion. It may wind up coming up, you know, in the next session in November, you know, in the middle of November, they have the G20. Yep. Um, and uh, and so that that would certainly be germane there. In, in this case, uh, I think that the U.S. was probably listening as intently as anyone to how uh, Premier Xi was going to react to Vladimir Putin. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think you had the perfect person today to analyze this in, in Ambassador Pickering. I mean, he is so well experienced and strategic in his yeah, thinking. Right. Uh, and the point he made that I think was uh, worth pointing out again is that Vla- Vladimir Putin actually went first and said, oh, I know my friends in China have some questions about what's going on in the Ukraine, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And so he was able to inoculate the discussion. Now, you know, if he's done that, then there were probably some pretty serious discussions about concerns China has regarding their operation in the Ukraine. So the fact that Vladimir Putin got to go first was probably a deal he cut and said, let me handle it. Uh, I'll answer all the questions regarding that. And then you can talk about what good friends we are. (laughs) Is that how you see it here, Jim? And, And does the White House just stay silent on this? Well, I think this was a really interesting meeting. And in some ways, it was a watershed meeting because this was the first time that you saw really unequivocally that China is the big brother in this relationship and Russia is the little brother in this relationship. And even though if you look at sort of economically and militarily, China has surpassed Russia and has surpassed Russia, you know, has did it a long time ago. You've never really seen it act out that way among the leaders in person. And that's that is really significant to me. And that's, you know, if I was the White House, I would be looking at that as the cue that now rush the now China is in the driver's seat mm-hmm. in this relationship. The walls are closing in on Vladimir Putin, Rick. 
Yeah, I think that uh, when he has this kind of an outing, you know, which was supposed to boost his prospects on the international stage and, you know, sort of reinforce his position as a superpower. Mm -hmm. And the best he's got is, you know, hey, we're good buddies. (laughs) Um, That really isn't very sufficient for him, especially considering he's starting to get some heat at home. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot since the initial invasion. And like we've discussed the fact that the one thing that could sort of halt progress for Vladimir Putin in the Ukraine, regardless of when he, whether he thought he was winning and losing, is political instability at home. It's not all this international sanctions. He can bear that. He'll figure out a way around it. He's got friends like China who can backdoor his needs. But the reality is when the politics at home turn against him, kind of hard to retreat from that. Yeah, and sure. that smells like where we're headed next. Rick Davis and Jim Kessler with us on Bloomberg Sound On. As we turn back to uh, what was happening today at the White House in the Rose Garden, Joe Biden with some news he was really hoping to share. So I thank the unions and the rail companies for negotiating in good faith. They met up for 20 straight hours through that negotiation and, uh, and for sticking with it, especially over the last few days. In fact, the negotiators here today, I don't think they've been to bed yet. So, <laughs> 20 hours of talks. They got a deal here. It's not been ratified yet, but we're going to avoid this massive rail shutdown uh, that could have happened tomorrow. Jim Kessler, the administration was directly involved. They clearly see this as a win. Is anyone going to remember this in November? Well, you'd remember it if it was a loss. Well, that's right. Um, So, you know, it's the absence of a bad thing, and it continues a Biden winning streak that's really started since July, um, legislatively and and international affairs, and with some prices like gas prices in particular. Look, I think Joe Biden has ridden Amtrak for 50 years, so you would expect him to be able to uh, solve a problem with the the rail unions. But... You know, and also this is a big moment for Marty Walsh, the labor secretary, too, who I think is a rising star in this administration. Huh. What's he going to do next, Jim? Well, you know, there's rumors, you know, look, Ron Klain is the chief of staff and he's probably if he wants to be chief of staff, he'll stay chief of staff. But most people don't stay after two years and people are talking, you know, perhaps it's Marty Walsh. Well, you heard it here on Sound On. Uh, <laughs> Producer Matt asks a question, Rick, should they have rescheduled James Taylor to today? Yes. Um, we were hard on them the other day for this. Very much so. Well, look, I mean, this is how you get rid of a hangover, right? You have a good day. So we talked about <laughs> right. what a disaster the signing of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act was because of the day that inflation actually went up. And uh, mm-hmm. and so um, uh it was a competency issue, right? I mean, here we go again. One year ago, they were pulling out of Afghanistan in the most ham-handed way ever imaginable, and here they do a backflip. Uh, they have something <laughs> positive, and they, they wreck it on the shore. So yeah. today was a great way to sort of shrug that off and say, you know what? We don't screw up every time. And, uh, and so, you know, this is, and this is big. I mean, we had a big run-up to this. Everybody was looking. A lot yeah. of concerns about the impact on the economy. And the team and the president came through, and, and this is what you wanted to have happen, and they, they deserve a right to celebrate. I want to ask you both about uh, if we can go back to primary night this week. The last primary in New Hampshire was the one we were watching closely. The headlines on Wednesday morning were an election denier wins the primary just like Democrats hoped to run against Maggie Hassan for Senate. His name is Don 
Baldick. We talked about him the other day. Uh, Rick Davis, Jim, I'll have you weigh in on this. An exchange today on Fox News that was noteworthy. This is someone who just a couple of weeks ago on the 14th of August said this at a primary debate that was televised. I signed a letter with 120 other generals and admirals saying that Trump won the election and damn it, I stand by my election. Okay, pretty cut and dry. Don Baldock today on Fox News was played that cut and asked if he still stands by this. He made it a central theme of his campaign that the 2020 election was stolen and that Joe Biden was an illegitimate president. Here's Don Baldock just weeks later. So, you know, we, uh, we, we uh, you know, live and learn, right? Um, and I've done a lot of research on this, and I've spent the past couple of weeks talking to Granite Staters all over the state uh, from, uh, you know, every party. And I have come to the conclusion, and I want to be definitive on this, the election was not stolen. Hmm. Was there fraud? Yes. Is hmm. that a concern of Granite Staters all over the state? Yes, there is. Is there a responsibility for public servants and elected positions to ensure that our citizens have faith in their voting system? Yes. But elections have consequences. And unfortunately, President Biden is the legitimate president of this country. Wow. Now that is an evolution, Rick Davis. Are we going to hear more so-called election deniers do this between now and November? Boing. Wow, that was a bounce, wasn't it? I got to tell you. It kind of makes his own sound effects, folks. It kind of makes my heart feel feel good to hear. It's our like, hearts are exploding. A complete flip-flop, right? If that's not an ad, I wouldn't There's no ad maker in the world who could do something better than what he's just done to himself. <laughs> um, well, but somebody told him to say that, right? Or did he find course. religion after being elected himself or something? Look, they're, they it's all a fraud, right? All these guys who campaign out there to get a Republican nomination from Donald Trump, his his imprimatur, yep. and then literally flip the day after. And 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 it's not just him. You know, it's 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 in Arizona, it's in Pennsylvania. It's I mean, it's just startling. And so either they're complete frauds when it comes to their desire to have Trump endorse them so they can win the nomination, or they're equally complete complete frauds to think that they can actually get people to forget all that stuff in a general election. Right. We used to we used to go right ideologically, right, on the issues of things like debt and and whatnot to uh, to get uh, a, a nomination and then tack to the center on issues that are more, you know, uh, appealing to independent voters. And, yes, right. And that was a pretty acceptable uh, strategy. <laughs> this, I don't even know what to call this. This is not tacking to the center. This yeah. is bouncing right off the face of the earth. So, Jim, is it up to Democrats to remind voters of uh, evolutions like these for the next several weeks? Joe, I don't think you have to worry about that going on. That That's okay. going to happen. I mean, look, what, what happened here, and this has happened in Arizona, too, is like the good news is you just won the primary. The bad news is if you hold this position on elections or you hold this positions on abortion, you're going to lose by 15 points. So we're going to need an evolution and we're going to need one real fast. And let's rip the Band-Aid off and let's do it on favorable media to see if we can get away with it. Wow. And, you know, it usually doesn't work. It just usually doesn't work. And, yes, Democrats will spend eight figures per state reminding voters of where they were and where they went. Insights from two great political professionals. Jim Kessler, Third Way, Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor. You won't hear conversations like this anywhere else. Incredible. We'll do this again tomorrow. 
We do it every day on Bloomberg.